Jesus plus nothing. We are in the fourth week, been in, in it for one month into this series. Jesus plus nothing, plus nothing, a study on the book of Galatians and on grace. And I welcome you this morning to open up to a new chapter, to chapter two of Galatians. And as you're turning, <clears throat> I just want to remind you what this series is all about. Give you a little bit of a summary of some of the things that we've been talking of. Plus nothing. It is by the grace of God that we're saved, and only by the grace of God that we're saved. It is by grace that we are saved. Grace alone. We cannot add anything to it, and we shouldn't even want to, because we could never add enough to it, or ever be good enough to save ourselves. That is why we needed Jesus. That is why we need grace. Thought I'd start this morning by sharing some. <coughs> excuse me. Some. Scripture on grace, and I'd like to just say this is not all-inclusive. This is one page of just about 15 different Bible verses, 10 or 15. But when you search the word grace in the Bible, you'll find hundreds of references, if not thousands. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <clears throat> Romans six fourteen, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but are under grace. Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. First Corinthians fifteen ten. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3, 20 to 24, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. John 1.14, And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father and full of grace <clears throat> and truth. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And John 3.16, which we all know so well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And finally, the last one I have for you today is this, Hebrews 13.9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Today we, ten, we continue to talk about grace. We continue to talk about how this is what we are saved 
by. Every other religion in the world is based upon a system of, of works. But we have the great blessing of being saved by grace. And all we must do is profess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And when he rose again, he was victorious over all of our sin. Raising from the grave, he was victorious. Accept him today as your Lord and Savior and live forevermore. But this is hard for us to understand. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about our stories of conversion. Pre-conversion, conversion, post-conversion, post our testimonies. Because it takes our eternal life out of our control. We don't like this because we like being in control. We like to be in control, but we must come to the realize, realization that Jesus is enough and he is in control. That is the truth. That is all the truth. Do you believe in the truth? Because there's nothing but the truth. And we must be devoted to all the truth. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I want to believe in this, but not that. I want to believe in this, but not that. Because the moment that you just say, well, I don't really believe in this, but I do believe in that, then it opens up the entire Bible to interpretation of saying, well, I don't believe in what you believe then. I just want to believe in this. If we say we want to believe in heaven but not hell, it's going against the very truth of God's word. If we want to say we want to believe that we can be good and all people can go to heaven, well, again, it's going against the entirety of God's word. You can't just pick and choose. We need to look to the very author of God's word, God, and we, ab we abide by it, we live by it, we listen to all of it or nothing. You can't just pick and choose. <clears throat> Plus nothing. We can't add to the gospel either. There's two extremes. There's extremes that you take away from God's word or the extremes that we add to God's word. So if you believe in the truth, if you believe in this plus nothing, we must present the truth. Even if the truth is not popular. And this is the main point for today. This is the main point throughout all of God's word and all of Paul's epistles and letters and all of Paul's life. As Paul continues to present the truth, even in times when the truth is not popular. Even in times when he's going to be persecuted or people are going to question him, false teachers are going to rise up, we need to present the truth, even when it's not, not popular. The main truth we saw and discussed at grace lengths over and over again last week and throughout all of Galatians 1 is that God being pleased in you is not based on your performance in him. As we talked about, we're saved by the grace of God, not by anything we can do. We're not saved by works. Last week we talked about this and about how this should make us happy and give us a sense of freedom as we know that we don't have to be good enough because Jesus already was and is all that we could ever dream to be and more. But this is frustrating to us as we said, we like to be in control. And this takes the control out of our own hands. We also talked about our stories last week. We talked about those testimonies of salvation and how God can use each and every single one of your stories, even though they're different. We all have different pasts. We all have different struggles. But God wants to. He desires to use all of our stories to be able to glorify him and to be able to bring others to him. 
But we can never please God enough to earn salvation. Now, I would like to say, Scripture does tell us time and time again, though, that God is pleased in our doing, and we can please God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul says that he aims to be pleasing to him. And if you cross-reference, we also find in 1 Thessalonians that he tells believers that they too should have the same purpose, to want to please God. But our living a life pleasing God is not meant to earn God's favor of salvation because we know we can't. We can never do enough to earn salvation. In fact, God being pleased in us is not by us at all. <clears throat> Let me explain. How could we ever obey all of the radical commandments of all of Scripture at the same time and never fail? We can't. We're, we're going to fail. We're going to fall down. We're going to struggle. And that's the beauty of God's grace, is that he's still there to forgive us. Here's the beauty. Ultimately, the answer to how do you please God is this. God is pleased as he looks upon your life and sees Jesus in you. God is pleased when you realize that him being pleased by you is not based upon your performance at all, but instead on Christ's performance for you and through you. Remember this, even after we have been accepted by God, our good works are still not our good works. It's still the result of Christ's work in us. Wrote down, therefore, trust Christ daily to work in you in a way which pleases God. Each day, may that be a prayer. Trust Christ daily to work in you in a way which pleases God. We must focus on grace. And focusing on grace will change one's perspective of life. Let me give you a little story. For a little bit of joy in your life, we must wake up in the morning and rather than complaining about the day, oh, I don't want to be up this early. That's normally my complaining. I don't like to get up early. I don't want to get up at all. It's Monday. Why does it have to be Monday? It's funny how Mondays are different, isn't it? But instead of waking up and complaining about what you have, have or what you don't have, Start with the grace of God. Focus on grace, and it will change your perspective of life. Start with what he's already done that you don't deserve in the first place. As the song says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. It's amazing how when we focus on what the Lord's done for our lives... It changes our whole perspective on our life, our entire life. Grace, it changes our perspective for all of the days of our lives. Grace will change one's life, but grace is not always popular, is it? I had that discussion just this week with several people. As we want to try and put our own rules, our own thoughts on God's word, and that's, that's fine, it's great that we can meditate on God's word and try and think, what does this mean? But we can't take away from the very essence of what God's word does say. We can't take away from it, and we can't add to it. Grace is a force. It is like a tailwind that pushes towards the will of God. And when you think of a tailwind, I've been on airplanes before, and I hear them talk about a tailwind, and we're going to get to our destination faster. Because you can either work with the wind... Or against the wind. And you don't want to work against 
the wind. I just actually miss, missed my slide, if you could fix that for me, but here it is. The sooner we allow ourselves to fly with the help of this tailwind, the sooner we will soar into the will of God and his plan for our lives. Grace is a force. And the sooner we allow ourselves to fly with the help of this tailwind of grace, this force for our lives, the sooner we will soar into the will of God and his plan for our lives. Not just that, but the sooner that we have life at all. But let's get to that scripture. Galatians chapter 2. And if you have it and if you're able, why don't you please stand as we read today from God's word. I'll have it on the board in front of you as well, the screen. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, we read this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, what there were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who works through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and, and Cyphus and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Thank you. You may be seated. This brings us back to my first point and main point for this message. Present the truth, even if the truth is not popular. Paul gives us this great concept, and as we study this small section of Scripture, it's what we see. It's kind of an overwhelming concept, I think, as you look throughout verses 1 to 10. It's not a popular truth, but he's presenting it anyways. He goes out of his way to present it. We'll talk about that here in more in just a moment. But at first, I want to say I really struggled with this text. Tim Keller says about this text of Galatians 2, 1 to 10, that he's never heard this passage read, read at a wedding. And he's never seen anybody cross-stitch their favorite Bible verse from this passage. It's a little bit of a hard, hard text to, to study and to bring stuff out of. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's not that we can't bring good content from it. But at first, we might just read straight over it. And be looking for that tweetable moment, that shareable quote. I had to really wrestle with it. And that's okay, though, because as we wrestle with text, sometimes it forces us to dig deep and really focus on what's going on here. And we need to not just skip over these moments in Scripture, but really do that. 
wrestle with it, dig into it, and think, what is really going on here? Here in chapter 2, we find Paul once again proving himself, but this time in a much different way as all throughout Galatians chapter 1, he was talking about his, his, um, his commendation, his credentials. I'm sorry, he was talking about his credentials. He was talking about his story. He was talking about why we should believe him and that this gospel of grace was delivered to him by Jesus Christ himself. He was commissioned by Jesus. It's not something that he made up. It's not something that he just heard from somebody else. But it was from Jesus. He talked about his story, his credentials to help with that. But now, what we'll read will ultimately lead to his apostolic commendation. And this final approval by the apostles of how, yes, we believe what you believe is the gospel. Now... This isn't why he went there, though. Paul goes to Jerusalem based off of a revelation. And we're told that this is 14 years after what we should rightfully assume is his, con his conversion. Some people have said, okay, well, has it been just 14 years after he's arrived in Galatia and the cities? But I think that it follows the natural storyline that he's already been going through in this letter. After all, this is a letter, not a book. And as he's writing this letter, he says, now 14 years after had passed, he was going up to Jerusalem, as we're reminded in verse 1. This would be what most would consider to be his second trip up to Jerusalem, and one which he spoke of in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 to 30. But some believe this to be his third visit, which he spoke of in Acts chapter 15. Now, there's two different visits here. Actually, I believe there were five different visits that Paul made to Jerusalem, if I remember right, I could be mistaken. But the first visit was in Damascus as he was, as Christ revealed himself to him. And he went through Jerusalem then and saw the apostle for 14 days. And then he went on to do his ministry through Jesus' message. Now the second visit, we see that he's no longer alone. Now he does speak of a revelation. We don't really know what this revelation is. We don't know how this revelation came to him. Some people say that it was another revelation directly from God. Paul, you must go to Jerusalem here now. Others say it's a revelation through the church and through the cities asking Paul to go and be God's hands and feet into uh, Jerusalem. As it was said, if you look at the history behind this, the context, if we're looking at Acts chapter 11... Sorry, I'm throwing a lot of facts out here. But if we're looking to Acts chapter 11 and Paul's second visit, Jerusalem was going through a time of famine. And Paul had this revelation and was told to go to Jerusalem on almost like a, re a rescue relief mission to help them. Again, we don't know the exact story here. We don't know exactly is it the second trip or the third trip. But the third trip would have been to go to the council and to speak openly, publicly, about the gospel of grace, where here we see that he spoke to those who were influential in private. Fourteen years. Fourteen years is also a great illustration of how Paul was speaking from nobody else's point of view. Fourteen years had passed, and he had continued preaching the message that Jesus had given him. In fourteen years, this is only his second visit. To Jerusalem. The first one being approximately 11 years ago 
And that first trip only lasted, if I remember correctly, 14 days to two weeks of time. For 14 years, he has been preaching the message that Christ had given him, and now he returns to Jerusalem. And again, not solely for the purpose of preaching this message to these people, but on a rescue mission, a, a relief mission. But he uses the opportunity to present the truth even when it is not popular. He is not alone this time, though. All in past scripture, we see that he's alone. Well, now he takes Barnabas with him, a friend and companion in the ministry. And he takes Titus with him. And how interesting it is that he brings along Titus. He brings along both a Jew, Barnabas, and a Gentile, Titus. A spiritual child of his, Titus was born out of the gospel of grace that he had preached to the Gentiles, an uncircumcised Gentile, and proof of the saving gospel, the message that Jesus had given him and that he had been preaching. Paul had been presenting the truth all this time, even though the truth was not always popular. And now he has the opportunity in Jerusalem to present hard evidence in front of him, but not just before by himself, but with a dear friend, companion, Barnabas, and having a child of the faith of his, Titus, with him. He's going to use this opportunity to present the truth, even if the truth is not popular. And now he finds himself in, th in, the, in the position to go before those whom are influential, it says. Now this isn't easy, but Paul is determined I want you to think to times when maybe you've had this opportunity to present the truth. Even when the truth was not popular. Maybe this was at school. Maybe this is at work. And you struggled as people were speaking against what you knew, knew to be true. And you didn't speak up. Because you knew that these people were influential. And they could, they could embarrass you in front of all your co-workers. In front of all the other students. In front of your friends. You could be fired. You could be persecuted for your faith. But Paul was determined. In fact, if we look to the Greek here, and I'm no scholar of Greek, but the commentary tells me that Paul speaking here is upset. He is very determined that he wants it known what he is preaching is not his own word. He wants it known that this is the gospel of grace which Jesus had delivered to him. And he wants it known that it's no different. We're not called to different gospels. We must all have the same gospel, but we may have different callings. We may talk with different people and in different ways, but we must stick to the gospel. We must stick to God's word. Notice once, once he goes before them, how he speaks to them. He speaks to them privately. Let me read that once again to remind you here. Galatians 2 says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential. Privately. Paul did it privately to those who were of reputation, to those who were influential. He did the best thing he could to not publicly embarrass those who were of reputation of Jerusalem. And the moment we start to embarrass somebody, the moment we start to make fun of them or to call them out even with the truth in front of all their peers, whether we're right or wrong, they're going to try and refute what we're saying. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a time to say it in public. But there is a time to say things in public and harshly. And there's a time to just ask to, 
somebody for a cup of coffee and to meet with them on the side, meet with them privately. Hey, can we talk sometime about what you believe? Or can we talk sometime about what you just said? I'd love to talk to you more and hear why, why you believe that. And then we have an opportunity to really explain ourselves. This showed great love and sensitivity on Paul's part because it would have been very easy for him to just say, I'm right and anyone who disagrees with me is wrong. And I can't wait to confront them publicly. But he didn't do that because he knew that being right didn't give you the privilege of being rude. Let me say that again. Being right doesn't give us the privilege of being rude. Being right doesn't give us the privilege of doing the exact same thing that they do to us and we get upset about. As we feel persecuted, as we feel stomped on, as we feel alone. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain is one reason he says he spoke these things. Now, at first, I thought of that as him, he was striving for their approval. But I really don't think that was it. I don't think that he says this in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. I don't think he says this because he was seeking their approval. I don't think he says it because he was afraid in their presence and he wanted to make sure that he was going along the same direction as them. He wanted to make sure, hey, are we on the same page here? Because this is what I'm preaching and this is what you're preaching and I want to make sure that we're running together and I'm not running in vain against you. I don't think that's the case. I think Paul says this, meaning that he wants to take the high road and he wants to make sure that he can bring them together to prevent the false teachers from influencing them and his ministry in a way which are working against each other. They needed to come together to start changing the tides of war in a way and to make sure they were preaching the same gospel, the same message. And it's okay to do it in their different callings. To help them to see that they have the same gospel but different callings and that's okay. Remember I was talking last week about our stories. <clears throat> We all have different stories, but that doesn't mean they're bad. Just because your story is different doesn't mean it's bad. God can use each and every single one of our stories and our backgrounds to achieve a different calling. But we all have the same gospel. We're saved by grace alone through Jesus Christ and the cross, God's only son they sent to earth to die for us. Verse 3 tells us this, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Titus was accepted by this Jerusalem council of leaders, and despite him being a Gentile convert, and not in line with the Mosaic law, he was still accepted. This shows that the Jerusalem leaders were accepting of the gospel of grace in which Paul was commissioned with. And this was a huge deal because it's not just a huge victory for Paul in the gospel of grace, but it's a huge victory for everybody as they realized that this old tradition, the old Mosaic laws, we no longer needed to be tied to, to be stuck to. They were transitioning to accept the fact that these new converts did not need to first become Jews to first become right with, with God by being circumcised. <coughs> Remember, plus nothing, grace, excuse me. 
but others still would not give in. Others would push back. And we see this. Again, the truth of grace is not always popular, as it tells us straight in Scripture. Yet because of false brothers who had secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. People, someone, had slipped in. And they tried to preach against this message. But it tells us, to them we did not yield in submission. Even for a moment, so that the truth of gospel of the gospel might be preserved for you. They wanted Titus to be circumcised. They wanted Titus to obey the law, to first be considered a full convert. To first be considered fully saved. To have a relationship with God. To be connected with God. But they did not do that. They stood their ground and the Jerusalem leaders did not force them to either. Remember, plus nonsense and grace. There will always be people who push back. But as they push back, we must continue to present the truth. We must continue to present the truth even if the truth is not always popular. False brethren or brothers came into play. They were trying to have an influence. Now most commentators say that they believe this to be Pharisees. We really don't know. But what we do know is they tried to force Titus and Paul to obey these old commands and laws. One commentary I read on Galatians 2 states this. It is significant that Paul calls these men false brethren. This is a severe title. Of course, they did not think of themselves as false brethren. They thought of themselves as true brethren. But because they opposed and contradicted the gospel revealed to Paul by Jesus Christ, they really were false brethren. According to the standard of Galatians 1, 6-9 that we spoke of a couple weeks ago. Galatians 1, 6-9 tells us this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the gospel of Christ, the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is calling them false brethren. He's calling them out for saying things which are contrary to the gospel that he received directly through Jesus Christ. And this is a severe title that he gives them. This commentator goes on to say, It is significant that Paul says these men secretly brought in and came by stealth. They did not come in with name badges that said false brother. They did not come in with a purpose statement that said, We have come to spy out your liberty in Jesus and to bring you into bondage. These men probably had the best of intentions, but they were still dangerous men who had to be confronted. And that brings up a great point about our everyday lives. As you have people trying to influence you, they don't always come in with a name tag saying, false teacher, false brethren, false brother. They don't always come in and say, hey, I'm coming to you because I want to bring you away from Christ. No. Satan is, the, is deceitful. and He's like a roaring lion walking around wanting to devour us. And he wants to do anything he can to try and hide his purpose, to hide his schemes. 
But we don't need to listen to these. The more that we can present the truth, the more that we'll be saved from these false lies. The more truth we know off God's word, the more we're in God's word each and every single day, chasing after God more than we chase after other things, the more we can recognize these false teachers, these false brethren. That's how Paul was able to call them false brethren. Because he knew the message that he received through Jesus Christ. And he knew that that was truth. So the moment that anybody is speaking something contrary to this, you know that they're a false brethren, a false teacher. John Stott, another commentator, says this on secretly, he brought in that this may mean either that they had no business to be in the church fellowship, this meeting at all, or that they had gate crashed the private conference with the apostles. But Paul stayed true to his message. He stayed true to the gospel of grace. And he steadfastly stood. He says, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He continued to present the truth, even when it was not popular. And I feel it's by the strength that Christ gives us that he was able to do so. And we too, when we have false teaching in our lives, people trying to preach against what we know to be true, we can stand strong because we know that we're not working alone. Jesus is working through us and in us. That's how we please God. It's because God looks down on us and he sees Jesus working in us each and every single day. Verse 6, we read this. And from those who seem be, to be influential... What they wore makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, but it's good information for us to know who he's speaking to or of. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who works through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised work also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Jesus was working through both of them. Jesus' message of the gospel of grace was working through both of them. They had the same gospel but different callings. And when James and Cyphus and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. This was a huge Privilege. This is a commendation that they now have, an approval that they now have, that they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. They would be working together. They would not allow these false brethren, these false teachers, to influence how they presented the gospel. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. As we read on, we see the continued support of Paul's message. They did not try to add anything to him. Despite who they were, they recognized that his message was from Jesus. And there's nothing to be added. There's nothing to add, plus nothing. Present the truth, even if the truth is not popular. Those who seem to be something added nothing to me, he says. Even though Paul met with influential, famous Christians a few times... They did not give him the gospel he preached. The gospel he preached was the one that he received from Christ himself. These influential leaders of the church in Jerusalem approved Paul's gospel. 
He had his apostolic commendation. And this would help to continue to push the gospel of grace further. But more than this, they now also saw that they could all have the same gospel but different callings. And we too must remember this today. These two points. One, present the truth. Even if the truth is not popular, I hope I've said that enough to you that it's really beaten into your head. We must present the truth, even if the truth is not popular. And two, we all must have the same gospel. Stop trying to add to the gospel. Stop trying to take away from the gospel. You know what? As much as I love to see each and every single year, uh, one of you at church today, that's not what saves us. Now, God is, I, I believe God wants us and desires for us to be in fellowship together. But we can't add to the gospel by saying, well, they're not saved because they weren't at church today. You know what? I wore a suit today, and it wasn't for this purpose. But we also can't say, if you don't dress a certain way to go worship God, well, then you're not saved. We can't add to the gospel. We're saved by grace alone. We must have the same gospel, but we may have different callings. So present the truth. And this will be hard at times. We'll be intimidated at times as we're in front of, as Paul said, influential people. But we must look to Christ. Remember that Christ is the one who's working through us and in us anyways. He'll give us the strength. He'll give us the wisdom. And he'll give us the comfort. We must greet one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. We must be working together and not against each other. So my, a message which I admitted I struggled with at first comes to an end. But I want you to remember that his word, God's word, always delivers. We may be pleased in this, and he may be pleased in us. May we all be pleasing God each and every single day with our lives as we realize that Christ is the one he sees working in us. He's pleased as he sees Jesus, his son, covering our sins. By the grace of God, we're saved. God's pleased as he sees Jesus working continually in us. And peace be to you through the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Lord God, as the worship band comes up, I just ask that our words would be pleasing to you, our thoughts would be pleasing to you, Lord, and not because of anything we can do, but Lord, because as you look down upon us, I just pray that you see your son Jesus covering our sins so they're white as snow, covering them so that they don't mark up our lives, they don't mark up our choices, they don't mark up how we respond to, to liars and people trying to preach against your word. Lord, may we present the truth, present the gospel to all the nations making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. May we love you more than anything else. And Lord, may we love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, help us today to do your will and to see you, to see your son working in our lives in every sing, single choice we make. It's in all these things.